The peace of Christ be with you. In three deep breaths, allow yourself to be drawn fully into this place, your heart open to the presence of the Spirit in, with, and among us. Friends, let us worship in beloved community. Standing or sitting, let us join in the call to worship. This is where we remember, especially the forgotten ones. This is where we remind ourselves not only of our successes, but of our failings and our ability to fall short. Not to punish ourselves or our neighbors, but so that we might grow and allow others to flourish. I want to invite you all to join us in our opening hymn, number seven. So it is good to be in worship together. And now let's join together in our community prayer. Let us pray. Cleansing God. Yes. 
could anyone fail to notice that your loving is a miracle? How deeply you're connected to my soul. How could anyone ever tell you you were anything less than beautiful? How could anyone ever tell you you were less than beloved child of God. In Christ we are forgiven. We are set free. So be at peace. Amen. Amen. One of the ways that we try to build up the community and strengthen the ties between one another is to share our joys and concerns. So if you have something you'd like to share before the congregation, just raise your hand and speak out. I'll, I'll say it's a joy. I'll echo what Bethany already said, welcoming both visitors and folks coming back. I saw Barbara Armington on the way in, first time in three years. It's great to have you back. So, And so many others as well. Anyone want Joy or concern to share? Yeah, Rebecca. Oh, congratulations. Rebecca's uh, younger sister gave birth to a baby girl this morning. We give thanks for that life. Others? Anyone? Yeah, Deb. Yeah. Yeah, Deb shares her appreciation for the music today, and what a gift already. Yeah. Anyone else? Oh, then let's join in a time of prayer. We come, O oh God, before you and with one another, carrying so many things. Things for which we're grateful, people in our lives, for which we give thanks. We also come bearing questions, burdens, concerns. In this moment, we recognize that we carry none of these things alone, but we walk with a community of faith. And we walk surrounded by your spirit and your presence. So in this moment, we seek to feel that accompaniment that everything feels a little lighter and all celebrations are amplified. We join our hearts in worship. We seek to join our minds with Christ. And we join our voices now in offering the prayer he taught us to pray together, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Days will come when you don't have the strength When all you hear is you're not worth anything Wondering if you ever could be loved And if they truly saw your heart, they'd see too much You're beautiful You're beautiful So much more than all of this. You're beautiful. You're beautiful. You are treasured. You are sacred. You are blessed. You're beautiful. Praying that you have the heart to find. 
Cause you know more than what is hurting you Years you've held inside so long. They are nothing in the fullness of God's love. You're beautiful. You're beautiful. You are made for so much more than all of this. You're Welcome. Come on up. There's just one cord there. Make sure you don't trip. Just step carefully, but come on up. Come join us. There you go. All right. So I was thinking this week about the chores that I have to do around the house. And I was thinking about how I'm not a super fan of doing the chores. Are any of you in the same boat? Any, first of all, let's ask this. Do you have chores to do at home? Rob's in the same boat. Do you have chores to do at home? I'm seeing most of you nodding your head. Yeah. No? Maybe? <laughs> Wait a couple of years, maybe. Yeah. So things like maybe picking up your room. Um, things like maybe uh, putting your dirty clothes somewhere. Yard work. Yard work is a good one. Maybe um, helping get ready for dinner or helping to clean up. You know, lots of chores. So, I think my least favorite chore. Anyone know what this is? No, it, it's a, it could be a teeny tiny trash bag, but that's actually not its purpose. It's a poop bag for the dog! Yes! Probably, it's the worst, isn't it? I have a kindred spirit up here. It's the worst, she says. Picking up the dog poop. Ugh. Little secret, I make my son do it most of the time. But like when I'm out on a walk and it's just me and the dog, I do it. But, so all of these chores, you know, maybe not the most fun, maybe not what brings us the most joy, but while I'm doing them, the thing I remember is when I do these things, I am helping my family if it's at home. If I'm picking up dog poop off the street, I'm helping all of my neighbors, right, who might come along behind me. Um, it may not, you know, may not be the thing that brings me the most joy in life. If I'm writing a list of things I love doing, it may not be at the top of the list, right? But 
But I remind myself that how important it is when I care about the people I live with, when I care about the people in my community, I do these things, right? I do them to, to help out, to show my love, to show my kindness and my respect for other people. Um, and that's, you know, that's kind of, I, I would love to tell you that it's going to change in your life and all of a sudden chores are going to become a blast. Woohoo! But they're not. There's always going to be things in life that maybe aren't our favorite thing to do. Maybe we'd rather do something else. But let's remember how important it is to remember that we are part of a larger whole, right? We're part of a larger family, a part of a larger community. And we do things to help each other out. And so hopefully when you do something to help someone else out, then, you know, and there's another time you might be in need of something, they're gonna come and help you out too. And it's wonderful how it goes back and forth like that. We can be the helpers, we can be the ones to receive help. Yes, you have a question, Kurt. What if you see a dead skunk at That is an excellent question. His question is, what if you see a dead skunk on the side of the road? I don't think it's gonna fit in this bag, you know what I do? I cross the street is what I do. <laughs> And then I put in a call to the Humane Society when I get home, because I don't want to leave it there, right? Oh, boy, oh, boy. May that never happen to me. <laughs> All right, so I see your Sunday school teachers right back there. I see Lisa, for those of you who are in third grade and up. I see Georgia and Sally, for those of you who are in second grade and younger. So I hope you will go um, learn more about God and God's love in Sunday school. Go now in peace. Go now in peace. Good morning. Today's scripture is one reading in two parts. It comes from 2 Samuel, verse 11, lines 1 through 17. And in your uh, program, you will see, because on my sheet it doesn't say, it's page 248, if you're going to follow along. In the spring of the year, the time when kings go out to battle, David sent Joab with his officers and all Israel with him. They ravaged the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah, but David remained at Jerusalem. It happened late one afternoon when David rose from his couch and was walking about on the roof of the king's house that he saw from the roof a woman bathing. The woman was very beautiful. David sent someone to inquire about the woman. It was reported, this is Bathsheba, daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite. So David sent messengers to fetch her, and she came to him, and he lay with her. Now she was purifying herself after her period. Then she returned to her house. The woman conceived, and she sent and told David, I am pregnant. So David sent word to Joab, send me Uriah the Hittite. And Joab sent Uriah to David. When Uriah came to him, David asked how Joab and the people fared and how the war was going. Then David said to Uriah, go down to your house and wash your feet. Uriah went out of the king's house and there followed him a present from the king. But Uriah slept at the entrance of the king's house with all the servants of his lord and did not go down to his house. When they told David, Uriah did not go down to his house, David said to Uriah, you have just come from a journey why did you not go down to your house? Uriah said to David, the ark and Israel and Judah remain in booths and my Lord Joab and the servants of my Lord are camping in the open field. Shall I then go to my house to eat and drink and to lie with my wife? As you live and as your soul lives, I will not do such a thing. Then David said to Uriah, remain here today also, and tomorrow I will send you back. So Uriah remained in Jerusalem that day. On the next day, David invited him to eat and drink in his presence and made him drunk. In the evening, he went out to lie on his couch with the servant of his Lord, but he did not go down to his house. 
In the morning, David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it by the hand of Uriah. In the letter, he wrote, Set Uriah in the forefront of the hardest fighting, and then draw back from him so that he may be struck down and die. As Joab was besieging the city, he assigned Uriah to the place where he knew there were valiant warriors. The men of the city came out and fought with Joab, and some of the servants of David among the people fell. Uriah the Hittite was killed as well. This is holy wisdom, holy word. Thanks be to God. I used to love the book, The Giving Tree. Maybe you know it, the children's book of Shel Silversteins. If you don't, it's about a little boy and his relationship to a tree, and it lasts throughout the span of his life. And at each and every turn, the boy gets whatever he wants out of the tree. So when he's a small child, the tree gives him a place to play and have fun. As he gets a little bit older, uh, the boy gets to take some fruit and enjoy it from the tree. And older still, the boy then sells the fruit for money. After that, time passes and the boy cuts down part of the tree to build a home and a boat. And then time goes on and in his older years, all that's left of the tree is a stump. But it's perfect for the boy's needs because he's now an old man and it's just the perfect seat on which to rest his weary bones. I always loved that story. Until someone pointed out to me that it's an awfully good story if you're the boy. Some people go through life like the boy. But some people spend most of their life as the tree. Some get to have what they want when they want it, feel empowered to ask for it and have the means to get it, or they take it. Because it's there for them, not even maliciously. They just see things as there for their own use without giving much thought to maybe the other repercussions. But some just give, 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 or feel compelled to give, or have things taken from them over and over and over again. Now, in the story... The refrain at every turn was, the tree was happy with this. And so often we're told to be happy about your sacrifices and your ceaseless giving to please others. See, perspective really matters. You might say perspective is everything whether it's this story or biblical stories, quite frankly. Now, you might be saying to me at this point, well, you're, being a little, you're taking this a little far. This is awfully metaphorical, allegorical reading of this beloved children's story. But that's precisely how it's read all the time. The giving tree is taken on religious significance. Not almost religious significance, religious significance. The first time I encountered that story, I'm quite sure, was in a Christian setting. And why not? Christ, uh, or, or the tree is compared to a Christ figure? And did Christ not sacrifice his very life for the well-being of the people? Seems on one level a fitting comparison. And, uh, by that logic, the notion that one should sacrifice selflessly for others is a well-placed lesson for many in this world. People who perhaps need to do a little bit to sacrifice to share the good fortune they've had or they've earned, either one, with those who have had it worse or who need a little something. That's a well-placed lesson, it would seem. Unless you're someone who, as I said earlier, has only known sacrifice, has only known giving, has only known other people taking what they want from you then it's a very different story. In fact, because of this, because of the various perspectives one can take with this story, or many, even in Wikipedia, it describes just a few lines in this as one of the most controversial and divisive books in children's literature. 
right? So I'm not making this up. And you might be surprised by different people's reactions. I was telling a woman about this sermon last night, riveting conversation for her, I'm sure. And <laughs> funny, she went to get a drink right after. I wonder what... But I mentioned The Giving Tree, and almost before I got out, she said, I hate that book. Wikipedia describes it as either a story of selfless love or one of an abusive relationship. And my guess is people's experience of the book is a reflection of their own life experience, how they hear that tale and how they place themselves in it. I've begun work on a paper that I'll give to our preaching group next year on the atonement, which is just another way of, of saying, what does the cross mean for Christians? I think if you ask many Christians, what does the cross mean? What did Jesus dying mean? They might offer some sort of answer like, well, Jesus died for our sins, without really unpacking the many layers to that complex statement. And without even acknowledging that many other statements have been made by the tradition about what the cross means. Did Jesus die for our sins? And if so, what did that mean? Or did Jesus die because of their sins, the sins of those around him? There's lots of talk in the tradition about Jesus being a ransom. Well, a ransom to whom and for what? We often hear it repeat as, well, that was a ransom for an angry God, a father who needed to be appeased by the blood sacrifice of his own son, which strikes some as difficult. But actually, the whole Eastern church that embraces the ransom language talks about Jesus' death as a ransom to the devil, or a ransom to death itself as a way of freeing humanity from its grasp. Very different reading. Some talk about the meaning of the cross as actually the emblem of the ultimate expression of integrity. Jesus knew what his holy mission was, what he was there to do, and nothing, including the threat and actual execution of death, was going to stop him from living out his purpose, his divine purpose in the world. And therefore, his death just becomes the natural extension of his life and a model for us. The point of asking these questions and many more is that if we only focus on the blessedness of sacrifice at every turn for every person all the time, we neglect the distance between those who probably really need to do a little more self-sacrifice and, and those for whom their whole life has been sacrifice. And we collapse that as if that were meaningless. But it's not meaningless. It's perspective is everything. Put yourself, for example, in Matthew's tub. I'm sorry, Bathsheba's tub. <laughs> Matthew's genealogy, we'll get to in a minute. You heard in the story, Bathsheba's out there bathing outside. Now, we can squash from the beginning this notion that somehow Bathsheba was being seductive, and sort of in asking for it. We've heard that language before, right? That's the ancient version of, well, look what she was wearing. <laughs> you hear that nonsense all the time. We blame victims for their perpetrator's lack of self-control or decency. Blame them for it. Bathsheba was doing nothing that would have been out of the ordinary in that culture. You bathe outside. That was common. She's out there bathing. David, the most powerful man, kingdom, sees her and wants her. And so he takes her. In fact, he sends someone to get her. He doesn't ask her. She has a husband, but that doesn't seem to get in his way. I know the feeling. Probably 30 people wanting their mom to take him out of here. So, G so David wants what he wants and he gets it with seemingly no consideration. Well, he does have consideration for her husband because what does he do? He sends her husband off to battle and says, let's make sure we put him at the front where uh, he's sure to face action and then we'll pull our ranks back when they counterattack and we'll leave him to die. And that's exactly what happens. So David can have her all to himself, even though he has plenty of wives of his own. 
Is Bathsheba the giving tree? There to just please him with whatever he wants, whenever he wants it, he can take it, and then she should be happy about it because he picked her. She should be happy. Or perhaps another way to think of Bathsheba as, is as the forbidden fruit. God said, hands off, out of bounds, off limits, don't touch that, but can't restrain himself, so he partakes of it, and that casts them out into the mean streets from the garden to the harshness of life. Or maybe she's just not an object, and we should stop comparing her to one, and she's just someone. She's just a person. And though the story doesn't grant her any of it, she should have agency. She should have choice. She should have some place in the story of her own that's not defined by others. In fact, that's precisely how she's defined in the story, by others. A colleague of mine, Taylor Lewis Guthrie Hartman, is a pastor in Statesboro, Georgia. She wrote beautifully on this passage, and she pointed us to a, a womanist biblical scholar named Will Gaffney. And Will Gaffney says, Bathsheba is known by the worst thing that ever happened to her. Think about that. If you were known only by the worst thing that ever happened to you, not the best thing you did, the thing that you're proudest of, or the worst thing you did, the thing that you were most embarrassed about, but at least you had a choice in doing. No, her agency is completely stripped from her, and she's known only by what happened to her. Matthew, now we're at Matthew, wants us to know that Jesus was born of her. He begins the Gospel of Matthew with a long genealogy, as we've talked about for three weeks now. It includes a few women, strangely, because that wouldn't have been the norm, and stranger still, because they wouldn't have been the women you would expect Last week we talked about Rahab, the week before Tamar, read up on them if you haven't. And now Bathsheba. Although Matthew doesn't even have it in him to put Bathsheba's name in the genealogy. Wait a minute, you just said this was a whole series about different women in Matthew's genealogy of Jesus. It is, but he doesn't name her. How is she known in the genealogy? How is she listed? as Uriah's wife, right? Which would have been how women were known in the day. Known by her father, or by her husband, and God willing, by her sons. She only exists in the orbit of the men in which she found herself, which again was the culture of the day. But Matthew knows enough to put her in the genealogy to connect Jesus' story with hers. In the giving tree, there's this scene where the, uh, the young couple, the boy and a romantic interest, go and they find themselves in the shade of the tree, leaving to the imagination what happens there, I suppose. And they carve their initials into its trunk. What Matthew, in effect, is doing is saying to us, when Jesus is nailed to a tree, one of the initials that is carved in his flesh is Bathsheba's. in her story, in her position in life, in her lack of control, in what happened to her, is not forgotten by the Christ. And therefore is not to be forgotten by those who have given their lives to him. We started last week what I've called the Rahab Project. It's set up in the corner now, but it'll be set up in the middle aisle during the week where we... The worship committee beautifully struck up these leaves around the sanctuary and after hearing Rahab's story, invited people to write the names of people, women or men, it's not a gender thing exclusively, who either by, as individuals or by groups of identification have been forgotten by history or erased by history or whose story has been told a particular way because of who tells it or whose lives have been narrowly cast because of their station in life that we might bring them to our consciousness in our prayer time between now and Advent, 
where we wait for the coming of the Christ. And throughout this week, some came in and added more of those names, and some have been hung up, and some have fallen to the ground, I've seen, which is sort of a fitting metaphor this time of year. The other metaphor, of course, being that in fall, in autumn, it's not that the leaves change colors, it's that they reveal their true colors. And all spiritual growth is about revelation. And all goodness in a society would be about allowing people's fullness to come forth and their beauty and all their difference to come forth. Bathsheba deserves to be remembered in that kind of a project. Her name needs to be added. And I wonder what others we would add. I don't know if Bathsheba was, ha was happy. I don't know if the tree was happy. I don't speak tree. But we can ask her. I was tempted to do a kind of creative writing project and preach about what her life was uh, based on what I think it might have been. But that just perpetuates the problem, me telling you what her life was. We can do something braver than that. We can ask her. You can come in here or you can be at home and you can pray that the Holy Spirit would reveal to you what Bathsheba's dreams were. You can pray for the Spirit to open your ears and your heart to the voices of other Bathshebas in our world today and what their dreams are about the choices they have and the choices that are taken from them. You can pray for the Holy Spirit to put you to work to make it so fewer have to tell that kind of a story in our world today. That's the gift she gives us, even through the pages written by others. She had a name. We should remember her and her gift. Bathsheba was Jesus' 28th great-grandmother. Amen. Raise that mic up. Twist that. It's going to take us a moment to get adjusted here. There's a lot of pieces involved in making music. Okay, are we all ready? Loving the person? All right. See you. 
Then you may be seated. And this time I invite Elder Laura Fitzpatrick as well as our new members forward to be received. As they come forward, just as you notice, we had some new members playing in the band today. We've got new folks who have come to us to join us in a formal way in this congregation and what a joy that is. Just go ahead and stand up there on the steps so folks can see you. And not everyone is here, but almost everyone is here. Mr. Moderator, this session received the following persons into the membership of this congregation. Kristen and Peter Durham, David and Julia Eaton, Abby Ottenhoff, and Kevin Malone, joining as friend of the church, Camille Vincent, and Charlotte Will. A question for you all, as we spoke at our orientation, there was a time in which new members were tested to make sure they theologically conformed with the standards of the church. And you look nervous. <laughs> but we've come to a place where we realize what's important is your desire to go on this journey with us, bringing some shared pieces and some pieces on which we all differ, and that makes us all richer. So my single question to you, is do you reaffirm your baptismal vows, trusting in God's grace in Jesus Christ, and do you desire to become a part of the fellowship 
in ministry of this congregation? If so, please say, we do. Thank you. Please join me in the Congregational Covenant in your bulletin. With joy and thanksgiving, we welcome these new members into this congregation. We promise to love, encourage, and support them and their families. We promise to share the good news of the gospel with them, to look for God's presence in them, to study, know, love, and serve Jesus Christ. I hope you all noticed the candles that are behind you on the communion table. We've put those up in your honor, one for each of you, and just in celebration of the light of your own lives that you bring with you to this Westminster community. And we're so grateful that you have chosen this place as one of the places to shine your own lights. In addition, uh, we have for each of you a loaf of bread. Thank you to our associate pastor emeritus, Barbara Rowe, for, for baking these. Uh, she bakes them specifically woven together um, just as a symbol of how you know you are now woven with us in the Westminster congregation and how delighted we are to have you joining with us today so I have one for each of you so Kevin welcome to you Abby welcome to you in addition, all, um, all of these folks are joining with their children too who are in the nursery and in Sunday school but your choice if you let your children know that you received bread today. Oh. <laughs> but we, we oh, 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 the donuts are more exciting. For yeah. <laughs> so Peter and Kristen, welcome to you. Julia and David, welcome to you. And we have loaves here for Camille and Charlotte, who couldn't be here, but we'll certainly deliver those to them this week. As we move into a time of prayer, I invite us to call to mind people in our lives who planted a seed of faith for us. People who saw something in us that was worth loving. People who demonstrated what that love could look like. That may have come in another tradition. It may have come in this one. But let us pause and give thanks for those people and those places along the way that loved us into this expression of faith. Let us recognize how pleased they would be with us for arriving here and living into the beauty and fullness of faith in Christ. We stand before you, O God, in gratitude for those who stand before us this day. We know that each of them has had a unique course here. They've been influenced by many, some who are still with us and some who are now with you. And we pause and give thanks for those who've been important figures in their lives. We ask your blessing that you would help us be a fitting church home for them, that we would be welcoming and nurturing, supporting, and that we would recognize that just as we have something to share, that they come bearing your light already, and that we would be receptive to the gifts that they have and the unique voice that has been granted to each of them. So we pray that with each new member in each new day, we might grow ever more into becoming the living body of the risen Christ. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Welcome. And I encourage you all to find your own time to welcome them both today after the service and the reception, but also in the weeks to come. And even though many of us have name tags, they will have name tags, the next three times you encounter them, remind them your name. Right? It takes a while. But please invest in them as they have invested in us. Welcome. Uh, Rob mentioned reception. Our congregational life team has a cake outside in your honor. So after worship, I do invite you and you to, to join outside for the reception. Welcome. You may be seated. <clears throat> uh, 
a number of announcements to share as we transition out of a worship mode into going out into the world. I'll go through several of them here. Uh, the first is, as you've seen in the way in the last couple of weeks, a small group dinner is our foot. So I hope you've had a chance to sign up. It's, the, it's one of the easiest ways to get connected to people in the congregation you don't know. Very laid back atmosphere, a chance to get to know the folks that are worshiping around you. Please sign up. Um, let's see here. Next, uh, there will be, many of you showed up to a wonderful event connected to Trans Heartline a few weeks ago, Janie Spar and Suzanne Ford. Did I get Suzanne's right, name right? That was a really powerful presentation in, in Fireside Room. Many of you were here. There'll be another opportunity to hear this time from two physicians who perform gender confirmation surgery. They will be uh, here on November 2nd, which is a Wednesday, from 3 to 5 o'clock. It's a, a good educational event, a, a time to ask some more questions as well, so we hope to see you there. There will be a congregational meeting on October 30th. The purpose of this meeting is simply to approve elders who are filling out the terms of those who had to leave their terms early, as well as to affirm a couple of folks to the nominating committee who is already well into the search for next year's officers. So please stay after for a very brief meeting following the 10 o'clock service on the 30th. Some of you have heard this by now, but we're losing our treasured office administrator, uh, Tracy, who's just wonderful, but in this economy, a part-time job just doesn't do it for many. So she just needs to enter uh, into a more full position, probably in the fundraising area, which is where she came from and is very skilled. Uh, so if you know of folks who may be a good fit for that, work your networks. You know what the church is like. It's a half-time position, and I can talk to you more about that. But please get the word around, and if you want me to send you a description, I can, and we can send it around. We're not looking for church members, per se, but hopefully those that our church members may know. Let's see. That one I cannot read. The next one is um, our beloved former parish associate, Ted Scott, will be back on October 29th. Ted is a wonderfully deep spiritual teacher and facilitator. He'll be leading an event from 9 o'clock to 2 o'clock on the Saturday the 29th. It's $15, and it's about expanding your spiritual practice. For many of us Presbyterians, it's not something we have a lot of experience in, so it's a good field to enter into. What does it look like to cultivate and expand your own personal or communal spiritual practice? So I would highly encourage you to sign up for that. I, I know you would find that enriching. Finally, if you've been reading some of our uh, materials, you may know this by now, but I've been teasing a conversation with, with someone I've been calling one of the most interesting people I've ever met. On November 13th, I will be interviewing Noah Griffin, who some of you know well from Tiburon. He's been on the town council, and he's done a number of things. This man has had a fascinating life. And this, this initiative we're calling Westminster Events is hosting a series of conversations that I'm kind of informally calling, get to know the really interesting people in your backyard. Uh, and he is one of them, just a really interesting neighbor of ours. Uh, actually has a, a history here. So Noah has been an activist. And he's been a radio host, he's a musician and a performer, um, and he's, got a, he's a lover of history. And so I look forward to interviewing him Sunday afternoon, November 13th, from 3 to 4.30, uh, right in Finley Hall. We'd love to see you here and get the word out to the community. It should be a really fun conversation. All right, I think that's it. I've still not deciphered my handwriting, which looks like social stories theorem. Um, so we'll trust that to the spirit. I'll get it out to you next week. Sacred Stories Training. Man, you all have blessed me with the best partner ever. I mean, she just, she can read not only my mind, but my writing. Uh, Sally Pasternak, I know, is teaching Sacred Stories today. She's a saint. She gets, I see her practicing during the week. It's a wonderful way of biblical storytelling that introduces our youngest to the faith. 
in a kind of non-doctrinal way. It's really about inviting them into the story, and then they respond through artistic means. It's kind of a Montessori-based method of storytelling. It requires a good bit of training, though, and we have a nice cast of characters who can do this uh, form of teaching, but we always try to offer new courses as people phase out and move on to other things. So if you are interested in learning, Bethany will host a very thorough training that will make you feel prepared to do it. And I will say it's one of the most enriching things in the church. So I'm glad that I remembered what that was, thanks to Bethany. <laughs> and I implore you, if you're at all intrigued, to just see Bethany about that possibility. Oh, you're the best. Our closing hymn is number 27. hope you do avail yourself of the opportunity to be in prayer either here or wherever you pray, to hear the voices of those who have been quieted, and perhaps in doing so you might just hear a voice inside of you that has been pushed down or pushed to the side or told doesn't deserve one, and let it fill you and change you and bless you. And as you go from this place, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ the love of God who is father and mother of us all. And the sweet communion of the Holy Spirit be with you this day and every day. Amen.